and welcome to this month's episode of the Distance Learning Roundtable Show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer of the show where experts gather to discuss the future of online education. It's an honor to introduce you to our show host, Pat Casella. He is the executive director of the U.S. Distance Learning Association and Dean Hope is the managing partner of the international organization Edu Alliance. We are so thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, Monica Cornetti. She is the founder and president of Sententia Inc. We know you will enjoy today's interview with this truly amazing woman. Now, Dean, I'm going to kick it over to you to tell us a little bit about Monica. Sounds fantastic. Let me go through a little bit of Monica's background. She works with individuals and organizations who want to learn how to think playfully to change behavior and achieve objectives. She's a gamification speaker and a designer, and she is considered a guru, I can tell you. For since 2015, she has been number one on Gamification Guru's Power 100, and in the last couple of years, she's been number one as the most influential woman in gamification. She is the president of Sententia and leads the company's education and design projects. She's also a game master, which I suppose is not a surprise to you folks, and an annual international conference. I believe it's called Gamicon. Is that right, Monica? Mm -hmm. And head of faculty at the Gamified Learning Academy. She's an author of a number of outstanding books on gamification and is co-author, along with Dr. Jonathan Peters, of her newest book, Deliberate Fun, Purposeful Application of Game Mechanics to Learning Experiences. Monica is a graduate of Seton Hill University of BA in psychology, a master's degree in economic development and entrepreneurship from the University of Houston over in Victoria. She and her company are considered the top in the field in gamified and game-based learning, particularly for corporate training and adult education. Some of these clients include Unilever, Walmart, and Microsoft. And when she has downtime, which I can't imagine she has any downtime considering what she's been doing, she's also doing researching gameplay with her grandsons. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dean. I am delighted to be here. I was honored to be asked and even more delighted to be talking, of course, with you as we're involved in distance learning when we start talking about playful design. So uh, you'll you'll be hard pressed to get me to stop at the 30 minute mark. I can tell you that. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, Pat, you have the Uh, opening questions. Thank you, Dean and Monica. Again, thanks for being Mm -hmm. here. You know, I'm an I'm an old tech guy. Commodore 64 days, you know, floppy disk for my thesis, you know, doom on the computer. But tell us a little about what's the formal definition of game based learning? What is it exactly? Well, if we think about game based learning, if I if I can also put up next to it gamification, So gamification uh, uses game elements, game mechanics, and moves that into a non-game context. So if I think about what game elements are, those are just things that make up a game, a dice, a board, card, spinner, a ball, a bat. Those are elements. Uh, The mechanics happen when we put a framework around there of what the rules are, right? So anytime you play a game, there's a win state and the boundaries in which you have to play within to achieve that state, what you're allowed to do to win and what's against the rules. So when you put those rules around the elements, that creates this personality, which makes them a mechanic. 
which creates this dynamic of play. So if we look at uh, gamification, we're moving all of that into a non-game context. So it might not look like a game at all, but you'd have different mechanics that you would weave in there. For example, you might bring in some dice or a spinner. So you have the mechanic of chance. So I have, uh, I have to uh, do so many tasks before I can reach uh, the top of a level to do an unlock, perhaps to give me a booster to move on to the next level. So it's all happening in a non-game context and doesn't even have to look like a game at all. We're just weaving those mechanics into it. But when we use game-based, that definitely has the look and feel of a game. So it could be something as simple as a deck of cards. And I'm looking around me as I say that because I have like hundreds of decks of cards because if you have cards you're selling, I am a sucker and I'm buying them because I'm like, ooh, how do those work for learning, right? I want to see how, well, how are you using that? So it could be a board. It could be like, for example, when I was working on my master's, I was working at a small business development center. And one of the games that we played was called Lemonade Stand. Because when you think about starting a, your own business, there's a lot of complexity to that. And it's pretty scary. But most of us can get our heads around starting a lemonade stand. I can do that. I understand. I need some lemons. I need my mom. I need a sign, right? So, I, And so we made it into a game so that it actually it was teaching our would-be entrepreneurs, small business owners, how to start a small business. So they use much of the overlap. And quite honestly, we have it really under one big umbrella now. When we think about gamified, game-based, I'm not a purist that it has to look like a game or can't look like a game. I'm looking at what do we need in this situation right here for our learners? What's going to be most effective to achieve the outcomes that we need? That's uh, interesting. That, and I think it helped set the framework for my next follow-up. Okay. How has this evolved? And in the education market, the adult education market, let's talk about that. And can you give maybe a couple of examples how it has evolved there? Well, a lot of, there's a lot of different things there. So first off, of course, we had the pandemic, right? So everyone was doing the pivot. We're pivoting, we're pivoting, we're moving online. Some people were already kind of ahead of the game with that. Like I'll use uh, Brown University, for example, they had already started gamifying full semester length courses. So they were totally wrapped in this theme of uh, reprobates and castaways, for example. And so there's art and the, the syllabus uh, follows because it's still a college course, but it follows with the art and as they level up and as they collect items along the way. So as we think about what's happened with the pandemic and also though, as we have hit that tipping point in the marketplace of the demographic of younger workers. So we hit the tipping point at 2023 where there was more millennials and Gen Z population by 20 to 25, they'll be 75%. They have been customizing their life and playing games all their life. So the younger demographic, the pandemic, uh, the desire for a lot of corporate workers to continue to work from home, like no need to go back into the workplace because we can, we have shown we can do this from home. So if we're doing onboarding, compliance, college level courses, and people are not right there in front of us, how can we use these game elements and mechanics to keep 
our employees engaged, keep them or get them woven into the culture of our organization if we're doing some kind of onboarding. We made huge leaps forward in the past three years, and I don't anticipate that we're ever going back to what we were. I believe we'll end up with some kind of morph between, and maybe it'll be that hybrid where we actually are doing live as well as sending it out and having people that are there virtually also with us. I think you're right. I think you hit it right on the head. And, um, you know, I stopped playing games. I call them games, right? You know, it's been a, a long time. My generation, I guess, is the generation that's moving out, as you say, Monica, and this new generation is is moving in, right? Teen, how about a follow-up for you for next question? Well, let's kind of keep going on the gamified and game-based learning side of this. Tell me about the approaches that cater to the unique learning preferences of adult learners. Uh, what kind of strategies can be employed to ensure the inclusivity and accessibility to these people? Can you give me some examples? Yeah, first off, uh, I'll go back to, and even with, like I said, you know, the millennials and the Gen Zs, they've been customizing their life, but we've all gotten there, haven't we? I mean, we all have our device that is fully customized to us and we expect it to be, right? And the moment that that interface doesn't work, like, well, this is ridiculous, right? Like, why is that happening? So we've all gotten there, except maybe the veteran generation, maybe the veteran generation's not there. But those of us who are probably still in the workplace or uh, in, in education, adult learning, we're expecting that customization. So if we think about accessibility, for example, I need to be able to provide you with choice. So how, you know, where are you? How can I customize this? And we can do that easily through even just a couple questions. Right before this, I was doing some reviews. We have three different levels of certification and we were doing what we call our level two, our journeyman reviews. And one of these young designers, she's customizing this onboarding program. And with three simple questions about their role, she now has them in this track for how they're going to be onboarded. I mean, it was just masterful to see because it's just like if then else, right? So if then or, and but it was as you're looking at what you're looking at on the screen, that experience was hugely personalized for me, right? I didn't feel like, oh, wait, I'm just a number and they're just, just assigning me to a track. It asked me questions. I answered it. And I, now I ended up here and the avatar on the see on the screen is like, yes, that's me. This is the track I'm going. So as we think about where we're going with the future, Dean, is that think about like, uh, Pat, you mentioned like you, you started with, you know, the Atari games, but the games now are so hugely personalized that our audience is expecting that from us. So we've got to think through how are we going to provide that as a solution and the one caveat I want to give here is that doesn't mean that we have to have hugely expensive software to make that happen. That's kind of what program, I wanted to go with. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, pro- that strikes me that personalization equals a great deal of cost because of the complexity. The program I was just reviewing was done in PowerPoint. So if, and we all, right. Now we may not all know how to use it like this young woman was using, but it was, it was created in PowerPoint and as you're walking through, you have no idea that that's what's driving it in the background. Like everyone's saying, oh, how did you design this? She said, I did this in PowerPoint. And everyone is like, what? How did you, right? Like, how did you do that? And so that's the thing that happens is we think, well, it has, and 
like if we're thinking about um, platforms, especially like at universities, uh, they use Canvas, which feels like it might have some limitations to it. But what we always encourage with our designs is design what you want and then ask, how are we going to get this with the LMS that we've got that we're using for our courses? Let's not say, well, our LMS will or will not do that. Mm. Our designs will be this big. Let's say, what do we want? Then how can we create that? And if I could give one example of that is like a progress bar. Your camp isn't going to give you a progress bar like we're used to seeing actually progress, but you could use static images that your brain will fill in the gaps, right? If I have a static image that shows me here and then I have another one that shows me here, my brain will fill in the gap and I'm I'm not feeling less than that I didn't have a moving progress bar. I just want to see I made progress. So as we think about what does this mean as far as platforms, that's the other leaps and bounds we've made in the past couple of years is that there was a lot of products offered uh, into the marketplace that are low cost, no cost, freemium models, reduced price for educators. There's a lot of tools out there. Fascinating. Pat, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Monica, let's move it towards distance learning a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about that. Many of our listeners and viewers are really directly involved in distance learning, be it a dean or a curriculum designer or, or what have you. How can how can gamified and game-based learning be effectively integrated? We started talking a little bit about LMSs right there, but how can they be effectively integrated into the distance learning programs, you know, across pretty diverse educational settings and, and different demographics, right? Corporate, tele- telemedicine, telehealth, higher education, et cetera. Yeah. And one of the things that we have to think through and and it's like the nitty gritty. It's like we're talking about playful and fun. And now I'm going to say something that's really not right. So we have to start with what is it we're trying to achieve? So if we're designing for corporate training, I am going to ask you so many questions that you're going to say, just go home now, Monica, because my <laughs> I'm going to take it back to how is the business going to benefit from this, right? Why? And I call that dollarize it, right? It has to do something with profitability or market share or customer satisfaction. Even at a university level, if I'm like, well, this is a course on economics. And so, but historically, our students have had a difficult time completing that course. So like one of our master craftsmen just designed this course. I'm telling her story for a university that historic abysmal completion rates. Well, she made it much more game-like, you know, save the econ- the world economy where it felt like they were playing a game. And by using the mechanics that keep me wanting to come back, they they came back and and huge accolades. I don't I don't want to say the university because I'm not sure that I am free to share that. I don't have her permission necessarily, but yeah. huge accolades from this online university uh, from just this one course of the difference it made in those students' lives. So we've got to go back to, we always design around who are we designing for and what are we trying to achieve? We're not even looking at learning outcomes yet. Learning outcomes is something that happens further down the road from us. We look at what, why even, why even add a game in the first place? Why, let's even go before that. Why are we even teaching this or offering this? Like in the corporate world, is this really, it goes back to, is this really a training or is this a job aid? How will I know that Dean understands it and is using it, but Pat either didn't get it or is choosing not to. 
right? Like, how will I know the difference? So it's always based on the objectives and the person we're developing for. And so I have one more. I know I'm giving long answers. I've got one more thing I got to add to that. Can I do it? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we use this empirically based taxonomy called a, it's called the Reese motivational profile. And what that, what we know is that as human beings, and when we look at behavioral psychology, we all have 16 core motivators. Those are things like power, status, beauty, family. We all have all 16, but they're just on a plane. So it depends on like how much or how little of each we have. Most of us, by definition, are average, right? So we're going to fall inside that bell curve of average. But there'll be some of us who are higher or lower than others. So for example, our students, we know like 98% score higher than average in curiosity, the desire for intellectual knowledge, not just like what's over that hill, but, oh, I want to learn more about that. So when I know who my students are or my who I'm designing for, I can now use and pick and choose mechanics that will keep engaging them. Our chief motivation officer has identified over 200 mechanics, things like boosters, unlocks, level ups, free lunches, life preservers, right? Caps has identified over 200 of those that we can use in adult learning programs. So with 200 of them, once I know who I'm designing for, it's really fairly easy to match up the mechanics as we design this journey incorporating now the content because it's a learning program. Yeah. And so how can we now weave these mechanics in that will either trigger our learners to take an action or give feedback, recognition, reward on an action taken? And that is the heart of good gamified game-based learning design are these triggers and feedbacks. It's truly fascinating. And obviously with games, the interactive component, which is really big for distance learning, digital learning out there, that plays into it really, really well. The other thing with that is in corporate America, we would love to believe that sitting a student down at the computer or doing an asynchronous program is the answer. And it absolutely is not. Again, no, abysmal completion rates. And as we look at who we are as human beings, we need each other. We actually learn better when we're in. So how can we create that even with distance learning? And of course, you know, like if there's anything good that came from the pandemic is the learning of how we can do that even when we're not co-located, but we're co-located virtually then. What can we do with that? And that can even be just you know, the uh, designing the place where it's happening, making that space personalized. Zoom is wonderful. Can we use something else that'll to even enhance that experience where it feels like we're all entering a lodge together and sitting down at a table to learn together? Metaverse. Now we're talking the metaverse. Yeah. Well, and yeah. even even some even more simple than that is even just an, an app that lets uh platform. There's low cost and free ones out there where we enter a world together. Uh it's not metaverse, but you do have this little avatar that becomes you and you move that avatar around. You're not wearing virtual reality glasses. It's yeah. not that immersive design, but it's still you see yourself and you can talk with others and proximity-based, just lots of ideas for how it can be used in our distance designs. Awesome. Dean, keep running with it. 
Well, I'm going to. I'm actually, we're talking about all these things, and there's so much going on. But at the same time, as we talk about this, there has to have been over the past few years so many different studies and different pieces being done in adult learning and university learning particularly. Um, I'm very curious what insight you have seen maybe from the studies that have been done right now in the whole field of gamification. And what have we, what have we learned so far from that? Well, it all, it comes back to like, you know, lots of statistics out there, you know, 86% of people say they would be more engaged with if it was gamified. 70% of Fortune 100 companies are using gamification in some capacity. Mostly right now it's happening like in the retail industry, a lot with onboarding and then also, of course, in education at all ages. Yeah. And uh, my daughter-in-law is a fourth grade teacher. And over her summer, she is creating kind of this Harry Potter world. And I saw last night, she's making this tree out of cardboard. And I don't know how she's doing it, but it looked like cardboard. And all of a sudden it looks like a tree full. With, and I'm like, how did she? But, but it's that thinking of what are my students going to need? Where are they? What do they need from me? How are they going to learn? And then designing for that. And as we think about platforms, I mean, there's so many, and again, I don't, I don't want to give one, you know, more so than another, but uh, there's so many out there that offer that ability to create, like, let's say an escape room that they already give you templates for it. So I don't have to start from scratch. I can go in and, and use some of these ready-made templates, which will, of course, reduce my design time, um, help it to look aesthetically pleasing. Uh, when we when we look at why do we want to, why do we want this? Like, let's say, for example, I'm hiring but I realized my applicants don't even really know what my company does. Well, then maybe I want to design something that before they even enter into the interview process, they play some kind of game that teaches them more about what the company does and if this is even a good fit for them before we start this tedious, expensive process of interviewing and hiring. So as we think about, if you think back to to what you remember from your days in education, what are those experiences you remember? And if I were a betting woman, I'd be willing to put money on it. It was when a teacher made it more game-like, somehow got you involved in it. When I was in sixth grade, we walked in one morning and our teacher had, he had pushed all the desks against the wall and on the floor with masking tape, so not, was a heart, a human heart took up the whole floor. And we spent the next week or so being blood vessels going through the heart, right? Like walking. All right. That was sixth grade. That's clever. Yeah. I, yeah. And I can still see that. And remember that moment we walked in like, Mr. Wright, what have you done? What's going right? But that is that commitment from that teacher of, hey, you know, we can just look, read the book and look at pictures, or I can get them actively involved with this. We think about video games and how they use music and community and working with teams and competition collaboration, right? Like if we just look at the most popular video games, they've got all the answers for us. We of course don't have the dollars to put towards it, nor should we necessarily, mm -hmm. but we can still look at, oh, progress. They're showing progress. Oh, choice. They just gave me a choice of going this way or that way. 
oh, I can work with people. We can work together against others. Oh, wait, there's a saboteur here trying to keep us from getting where we're going. And I got to figure out who that is, right? Just all of these different dynamics of play that make games fun. Why would we think that adults wouldn't enjoy that in our learning programs? We could spend hours playing games. Even if we're not a gamer, we all play games, right? Like five more minutes. I'm just going to do this for five more minutes, right? That's a game. I just took something that's difficult and said, okay, just five more minutes. I'm lying to myself because at the end of five minutes, I'm going to say, okay, could you do two more? Because just two more minutes, you can do this, right? But why would we think that once we become adults that we wouldn't enjoy play? It's faulty thinking. Let me ask you a quick follow-up here. And this is, again, taking the research and everything else. What's been the biggest surprise that you've seen out of research right now in the field of gamification? What, I mean, you've been at this for a long time. What has been one of the biggest surprises that you've seen in the field of gamification? I think it would come from the side of disappointment, Dean, quite honestly. Okay. It's that when we see the results that happen, that we still have a mindset that game is, well, it is, you know, like Maria Montessori said, games play is the work of children, right? But we still have that adult mindset of, well, it's an adult, we're serious people doing serious work, it's time to put the games away. And so it's even with all the data, and even with the younger demographic, and even with achieving results that we want, you'll hear out of like a manager's like, I am not, I don't want anything to do with games. Don't talk with me about games. We, but then in the next, they'll say, but you know, you could do an escape room for us. And I'm thinking, well, I think it's a game, but wow, that's a great idea. Sure. We'll do an escape room. Right. So it's that still that resistance to that play is not just for children. I think that's the biggest surprise for me right now, Dean, is that We've we've done so much and have been so successful at it, yet we're still going to hold on to this idea that it's not for adults. But I really think we're coming to, we're just like, the, you know, this next generation boomers out, probably then it'll be just commonplace because it's going to, it's what our learners have been receiving all through their their elementary and high school years. Our biggest mistake right now is, trying to design training the, and learning the way that our grandparents learned or that we learned sitting at a desk with a pencil on worksheets and trying to give that to, and it's not, not being our workers or, and our students are saying, uh-uh, not doing it. Right. Pat, over to you. Yes. No, we've been conditioned. Uh, we need to be unconditioned, right, Monica? Yeah. You know, and we still spend billions of dollars building university buildings. I know. The learning is not going to happen, right? That's There's right. a desk down front where, for this, uh, somebody to pontificate to rows of students. No learning is happening there. Learning doesn't happen until somebody is quiet and the rest of us can now start talking and retrieving and working with and massaging and trying and that's when learning happens. Let's keep running with this. Let's talk more about platform. And what do you see as far as innovative technologies that support gamified and game-based learning for adult learners? You know, what features or functionalities do you think are going to make those more effective? And are we talking 
Second Life, the metaverse? What are we talking about here? Yeah, and, and I think Second Life and Meta, I think for some of those, again, there's a huge barrier to entry for that, from that mindset of somebody says, yeah, but I'm just not a gamer. I just don't really, don't, I don't like that. But what if we use some simple platforms like Miro or uh, Google Jamboard or, or Mural and we put like elements out there that people can interact with and move around. There's programs like Genially. So that's like G-E-N-I-A-L dot L-Y. They've got tons. It's a freemium model, but they got tons of templates and tools that we can use. You've got programs like uh, we use Remo for our events where you can make the room look like anything you want it to look like. And people come in and sit down at a table with others. And uh, Topia has this great fun world with all kinds of, of uh, interactive components to it that you can add in yourself, even going back to using things like PowerPoint. But the whole thing is, is that how are we going to keep building community, right? Like how are we going to put people together and share ideas? Because when we need innovation, most of that time, that innovation is going to come from some kind of collaborative endeavor rather than somebody just sitting somewhere by themselves. So what platforms can we seek out out there that will help us to bring that collaboration, even when we are literally across the world from each other, but we can come into some space where we can share ideas and concepts? Yeah. you seeing it in Zoom? Um, yeah, because, you know, we can still use breakouts and we use Zoom a lot. We yeah. use Zoom a lot with breakouts because there's still a ton of creativity and collaboration that can happen in Zoom. That's right. That's right. And anybody can access it. Yeah, that's right. Easy access. I mean, that's how we've morphed over the years. This used yeah. to be very difficult to do a video conference, but you know, now it's easy. 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 Yeah. And, and standard, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for everybody. Of for all everybody. Of that's right. That's yeah. right. Dean, over to you for uh, for last question. Last question it is. We've been talking about gamification and everything, but I kind of like go back to the introduction uh, that I did in the first place. And the word guru kept showing up a lot about you. No, don't look at me that way. <laughs> it's definitely scary. It ah. is a part of you. And I'm curious about it. And it wasn't just there. I looked on some recommendations about you. The word guru, effective speaker, presenter, trainer shows up on you continuously. My question really is, why do you think you're so darn good at this? Why are you so effective? Why are you mm -hmm. so well regarded as a speaker? What do you think it is? Well, thank you for that, Dean. I, I just think it's, I think I just really do have the soul of a teacher. I start getting emotional about it. Like I have a lot of colleagues who went the direction of keynote speaking. And so they go and they do a 45 minute motivational and they're good. They're darn good. I love that's That to me just is a lot of stress. I love when I actually have time and I, I get to help people build skills and I see the aha moment that they have. And when the, when the student surpasses the teacher, which happens all the time. And I am so delighted when I see that happen. It's like when I'm blown away by what a student creates, uh, I just, I think it's just, I have this, I'll go back to those grandbabies, you know, mm -hmm. I get to spend two weeks with them come ne next week. And I said, you know, two weeks, we're going to have to have some rules 
Grammy's probably going to have to work a little bit. And they're looking at me like, I don't think so, because they know that Grammy time is 100% play of some kind, right? And I don't mean expensive play. Like it could be, we make up a game of tennis balls and wash baskets, right? So it it's always just this exploration because what I see in their eyes is this unlimited desire to move towards mastery. They are still young enough that they want to learn. And I focus on adult learning and I encounter so many adult learners where you see that's been lost over the year. They've got a lot of fears. They are worried that everybody else is going to know something that they don't know. They believe some kind of lie about their ability to learn new things. And so I just enjoy demolishing dry, dull, and ineffective. I just want it gone. And whatever it takes to make that happen, I don't ever see myself not working towards that goal so that our adult learners in our corporate and higher ed, if there's something they need to learn so they can do it, how can we help them? It's my job. It's my job to help them to learn what they need to learn so they can do something with it. And if they're not learning it, then it's my problem to solve. And how can I solve that problem by meeting them where they are? And there is no normal, right? Everybody's someplace different. So how can we design to meet people where they are so that they can learn something to do something that will, that will make them successful, whatever success looks like for them, whatever that picture looks like. I, I have to agree with you, particularly about one thing. I think you do have the soul of a teacher. And I think that really comes through, even in an electronic world, of the things that we do. That's a, that's a really important element. And I congratulate you for being able to do that. Well, thank you, Dean. That's very kind. Yeah. Hope. Thank you. Thank you all. That was such an interesting conversation. Monica, of course, you're a guru. You're amazing. Uh, I talked to so many truly amazing women and they're like, nah, of course. <laughs> but yeah, you know, making learning fun. What better way to do it? Why have we not always been doing that, right? <laughs> because we do it. If, if you take the fun away, we will find some way to make it fun. I mean, like, even think about driving in rush hour traffic, right? Like, I call it rush hour roulette, right? All <laughs> of a sudden, it's like, we're playing a little game to survive the drudgery of what, uh, you know, you wave to your neighbor leaving the neighborhood, but as soon as you're out there on the highway together, now it's like my car against their car, right? Like, right. Everything Roger. that is drudgery, we Roger. will work to make it more game-like. That what's just how we're wired. Yeah. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you very, very much for being here. We look forward to playing more with you in the future. Thank you, Dean and Pat. And we invite you all to, uh, this will be our August episode, but if you missed the U.S. Distance Learning Association conference this year, please join us next year, usdla.org. And of course, keep track of Dean and all the things that Pat is doing. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs. In addition to being the producer on Incandescent Radio and Incandescent TV, I am the proud communications director at USDLA. So we will see you all next month with another amazing guest. Thank you again, Monica. We'll talk Thanks. to you soon.